Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Humans Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. This series is sponsored by our friends at Safer Roads GM, helping us to keep ourselves and each other safe on the roads of Manchester. This week I'm joined by Kasara Shiraz, novelist, scriptwriter, journalist, charity campaigner and festival founder. Kasara talks about growing up in Pakistan and moving to Manchester as a child. Those are the best memories for me and they're special, so I really treasure them. And she talks about the importance of celebrating diversity. Remember we are all different and learn to respect others. We've got to step out of our own world 
to in order to befriend others. It's an honour and a privilege to welcome to the studio a woman whose quest to make the world a better place saw her voted number one in the list of 50 most influential women in uh, Manchester in 2017. Uh, originally a school teacher, she's now a very highly regarded novelist, scriptwriter, and peace and gender activist. Kassara Shiraz, welcome to Human Texas Manchester. Thank you, Clint, for inviting me. <laughs> I think I pronounced your name right there, didn't I? You did, absolutely. Kessera. Kessera. That's it's a beautiful right. name. And <laughs> you just told me off mic before we started yes. the history of it. Well, I thought it's a Pakistani name. I'm originally Pakistan, from Pakistan and it comes from Iran, Persian name. And I had a student friend many years ago. And he said, Kessera, do you know where your name comes from? I said, Pakistan. And then Iran. He said, think again, Rome. I said, Rome? What's Rome got to do with my name? And it came out to be Caesar. Caesar means emperor. My name means emperor. So if you change Kaiser to Kessa to Kessera. Yeah. And when I go to German school where I often do some talk, I say to them, do you know where my name comes from? There's a link to German. What? German? I say Kaiser. Kaiser, Kazarina, Kessera. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> and that's why you voted number one, the uh, 50 most influential women in Manchester. You um, are the emperor. No, 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 not for the name. <laughs> <laughs> We'll talk about some of the awards that you've won over the years. We'll talk about some of the stuff on your CV. Your CV is massive. We can't go into detail about everything you've done. But first, let's start right at the beginning of your journey, Kesara, because you were born in Pakistan, weren't you? I was, yes. What are your memories of that first eight or nine years of your yes, life? And- I, uh, out of my family, there are five of us. Three were born in Manchester. And one brother came at the age of four. And I think I'm the lucky one. I was old enough to have lived there, gone to school, lived with my relatives, travelled around, and I have memories. And I think I'm extremely lucky compared with that. And I'm, particularly as a writer, I've used my background, my memories, to have my novel set in Pakistan. So I remember my father came to England in the early 60s, mid-60s. So my mother was there with two children. She went to live with her father in one city. And I ended up with my grandmother for a couple of years. And those are the best memories for me. Really? And they're special. So I really treasure them. With the grandmother? With with my, the travelling grandmother, I call yeah. her, because she went everywhere. And those memories have served me well as a writer. Yeah. So they were really positive memories, obviously. And because I'm the only one out of the family who has them, I treasure them. And whereabouts in Pakistan were you raised? My, uh, Lahore. Lahore and yeah. Gujarat. That's, uh, Lahore is the old capital of India. Yeah. And my, that was my father's place. So those are the two memories I have. And was it, a busy, was it a busy world back in Lahore back then? It must have been, but as a child, you don't notice those things. I remember the little councillor, the, the British council that I went to, and this big park, this building, and then coming on the plane, and then you end up in Rochdale, terraced house, yeah. is fog, and racism, <laughs> and skinheads. A lot of that back in the, this is 1967. So this was that, and uh, so it was a culture shock. Yeah. It was a weather shock in every way. Yeah. And also, you, you suddenly feel you're an outsider then. So it wasn't the Alice It wasn't the best, but they were good part beautiful wonderful teachers who taught us english obviously i needed english yeah. so memory of teachers has been fantastic for me all my life the negatives were for example i was sitting upstairs with my young baby brother and somebody threw a brick wow. through the window and nearly missed my brother's house and that fear of mm. being threatened has stayed with me yeah. and now as an adult grown up and being in the world of teaching i challenge racism i challenge hatred and I have that little experience and I thought, not having that. Yeah. But it still goes on. And I talk about this in Germany. I said, look, do you know what how it feels to be physically attacked and to be called name? It's, it's a horrible experience. Mm. And to this day, I, I almost cry when I think about my own mum. She was part of that generation where they didn't speak English, they didn't go out to work. So they were isolated in some way. And they would be picked on. So there were two horrible boys, mm. you know, trying to victimise her to... And they would run after her. My poor mom would run in front of them. And I, that really 
still bring the tear of how my mother felt, being yeah. threatened by two little thugs, basically. So for me, those are the negative memories. But as an adult, as a group, it obviously was much, much better. I'm sure you went through mm. other moments as dark as that, but the positive thing is that the world's a better place now because of the work that you were doing. Yeah. And if you hadn't have had those bad yeah. experiences back then, Absolutely. it might not I'm, I'm aware of it, but of course I never forget... Because I've lived in another country, come from another world, and it's a third world country, Pakistan, England has really been great for me. I never forget that what I've done, what I've achieved as a writer, as a woman, as an educationist, has been thanks to England. Also thanks to my father, he was well educated, had a degree, he wanted to focus well on his children, on their education. But I feel it's the privileges we had, it's the facilities we had, mm. it's the freedom we had. And I sometimes wonder, and I've had this sort of experience in my life when I've gone to Pakistan on holiday, going up the mountains in a car and I look out. I don't know if you ever read Middlemarch, Dorothy Brooks. Uh, well, there's a scene where this woman is looking out, caught up in her own little world. And then she looks out of the window and there's a beggar woman trailing with the children. And suddenly the woman inside the house comes out of her own little world and said, my God, what is her world like compared with mine? I had that Dorothy Brooke moment when I was in the car, a privileged woman from the West coming on a holiday to Pakistan. And I thought that woman probably in that house doesn't have hot water, has probably will never go to school or college when her children are ill. Where will she go? And I thought, my goodness, mm. what a difference. And that sort of awareness, sensitivity about women's issue has been the, has embedded everything in my life. I've worked for 20 odd years with education, lifelong learning, Manchester Adult Education Service. And I've devoted many, many years to actually promoting education to adults, including women who come from other parts of the world, because education is a passport to better life. You give them the language to speak and it makes a difference. And I often use this quote, one woman's ability to write her name for the first time is equivalent to another woman's PhD. It's a small step but it transforms her life. You're talking about the 1960s when you your first memories of life in Britain. Yeah. How does life for a Muslim woman now in this part of the world compare with back then, 50 years ago? Okay. Obviously, as an adult, I don't experience bricks being thrown into my house at the moment now. I, I want to talk about this. Since September the 11th, things changed, absolutely changed. I love England. It's the best country on earth. I feel for migrant, it's a fair society, it's a just society, it celebrates diversity, it treats you as human beings and equality. I love all of those. That underpins everything we do. But then September 11th changed things. Suddenly fear brought people's reaction into a different mode. Mosques were being targeted in particular, and I really resent this, Muslim women became the easy victims. They are constantly being targeted in the media, on the streets, whatever, especially if they wear the scarf, the hijab. And for, for the first few years, I went in a shock mode. I thought, what is happening? Suddenly we're being othered. You know, we are the outsiders, you know, the strangers. I've lived all my life here. Yeah. Uh, only eight years I spent in Pakistan. Now I'm 60. Uh, the rest of my life's been here. I'm Mancun, I live in Manchester. Mm. But suddenly you become a stranger. So then I went on a mission. Somebody said, Kesso, you have a platform, you're a famous writer, you talk publicly, use your platform. And that's what I've started doing. I use that opportunity when I'm giving my lecture to these students in Germany, right across Germany, to build bridges. And I, they connect with me because I'm the famous Kesso Shiraz, the author that they study. They connect with me that way. But I have to remind them, look, I'm a Muslim woman too. I'm a migrant woman too. I live in England and I, I'm different from you because we are all different. And I remind them how important it is to celebrate diversity. For me, because remember backgrounds in education, I've been an Ofsted inspector, etc. We focus on 
celebration of diversity and equality. No school, no college can get a good grade unless they can show that equality is good in that place. Yeah. And so is a celebration of diversity. So this is the backbone to my life. And of course, being a migrant, I'm different. I know that. I'm British, I'm Muslim, I'm Pakistani. So for me, it's been a focus of celebration. Yeah. So I'm using my platform as an author, as a public speaker, to actually become a mouthpiece for women. I interviewed 100 women from across the world. One of the things that people always seem to have in the West or people full of hatred for Islam or Muslim, they all think we are all oppressed. Put us in one little box, we're all oppressed, nothing more. Well, I've interviewed 100 women from across the world, Indonesia, 33, India, Singapore, Germany, England, Pakistan. And you know what? Every single woman was unique. Mm-hmm. She was a product of a world. It's just that generalization that society is really good at. Really. No, we are all individual. <laughs> yeah. and, ev- and remember, there's so many Muslim countries and every country is different. Saudi yeah. Arabia is different. Pakistan is different. Uh, Jordan is different. Morocco is different. How can we all be lumped into one pox? It's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> Madness. Yeah. You mentioned 9-11 there. One thing I wanted to ask you is when we had the, the Manchester Arena tragedy, did you have a similar sort of period after that, the aftermath of 9-11? Did that happen again after the arena in your community? I'm so glad you asked me that question because something like this happened. First of all, let me say, I've never forgotten that episode. For me, that little lovely girl who passed Mm. away, it's unforgivable. A child who come for a special treat to hear the music of this woman that she adored and then she loses her life. Mm. Nothing can excuse this. It's pure madness to be killed and that girl will stay with us for life. So all of us felt that. My son was, he's a doctor. He was working all in firm. He saw the aftermath. As you know, everybody rallied around. A lot of Pakistani Muslim men, they rushed with a taxi. Everybody came together. I'm part of the Faith Network from Manchester and we stand together. We did all the vigils around everywhere. You know, you saw Dean's Gate, uh, Cathedral, etc. So that was a positive aspect. Then negative aspect was this. Remember, Manchester is greater Manchester. I have two friends living in Oldham. Muslims wearing the scarf, hijab, they were afraid to come out to the vigil because they were afraid of being attacked. They felt that they would be attacked for that incident. So this is one of the big fears. Every time there's an incident of some sort, the first thing you praise, I hope it's not a Muslim. Mm. Then you praise, hope it's not from your community. And you go into this kind of mode. This is madness. Why do we personally take responsibility for that? We should. Why should we feel that way? Those women were afraid to come out. And that brought things to a head for me. Mm. I thought, enough. Enough of going in the defense and having to explain to people about all of this. I'm going to celebrate being a Muslim. I'm going to bring people together under one roof to connect people. I'm going to do it through the arts. Yeah. And that one night I had the idea for a festival. From nowhere, can you imagine at my age, setting up a new festival? <laughs> but because I'm a novelist, I've been to many festivals, it, it came naturally, the thought. The idea came from there. And we have a logo, you can see, celebrating arts and connecting communities. Yeah. And we have... Uh, another slogan, spread honey, not hate. And I use that everywhere. And you know what? We succeeded. People of all background, all colour, all religious faith and none, they were there. And that was a mission. Let's sit together, watch a film together, listen to a reading together, watch a performance together. And by sitting, watching, interacting results in friendship and 
by extension, breaks down the barrier, yeah. challenges uh, hatred and racism. And it educates and it brings awareness as well. Absolutely. So this is what the mission of my festival is. So this is MacFest. It's MAC, Muslim Arts and Culture yes, Festival. Yes, and Mac we've Fest. got a website. Everything is on it. Everything we've done in 2018. Yeah. You're something of a workaholic. I know you, we talked about MacFest here, and yeah. that's you making a lot of calls. You were picking the phone up saying, when you come and perform at this? Absolutely. You're emailing and lots it. Of mess, uh, lots of meetings. Oh, goodness. It took me 18 months. And literally no funding, nothing, no staff, all by myself. In the last three months, I had a group of wonderful volunteers helping. Yeah. But now we are supported by the city council, by art council, etc. So it's a full-blown new festival on the scene. Well, that's macfest.org.uk. That's one of several things that you're working on all the time. Yeah. Uh, you're also a fellow to the Royal Society of Arts. You're a literary judge, former director of Gatehouse Books. I'm reading this from your CV. I've yeah. been reading up here. Yeah. Tell us about the uh, Manchester Multifaith Centre. I'm co-chair of uh, Faith Network for Manchester, which is a national body, and our remit is, again, to connect communities, promote better relationship, and above all, promote uh, awareness about different faiths. We celebrate festivals, we have conferences, we have interfaith dialogues, we have women of faith events, and it celebrates all faiths, yeah, absolutely. And f- people of no faith, we welcome that. Brilliant. You were voted Manchester's most influential woman. I want to ask you about that, 2017. Is that right? You were number one? I was. I, I couldn't believe it. It's it, it so humbling and I still find it a bit right. bemused. You know, who, who's in that? <laughs> Carol Ann Duffy, you know, the yeah. poet laureate. Rebecca Adlington, who was the Olympic game. I think it's the variety of things I've done. I'm very bemused. But there was another list, uh, uh, international list, 11 remarkable women of Manchester Yeah. Uh, brought uh, by the Metropolitan University. I think it's because of the variety of work I've done to yep. create communities, etc. That's been, I find it very humbling. You know, I find it embarrassing, those titles. That's because you're very modest, isn't it? But uh, what about the, tell us about some of the other awards that you've got. We've got two or three awards as well. One was the National Diversity Award, which was a real honour. Out of 20,000 people, I've got the highest award, which was for services to literature, for women, education and interfaith relationships. Uh, and, and then I've, last year... University, my University of Salford, they gave me the Alumni Achievement Award for work with the communities and in my multiple careers. And recently, in February, we got the award for MacFest, British Muslim Award, under the title Leading Lights of the Year. And then I've got these titles, Muslim Power, 100 List, Pakistani okay. Power List, and the latest one has been 11 Remarkable Women with Emmeline Pankhurst. Amazing. One of 100 influential Pakistani women in Pakistan Power 100. That sounds like a superhero yeah. movie, that, doesn't it? Like the Avengers, <laughs> Pakistan Power 100. But it's, it's amazing. But, you know, it's, it, I think it's a work over 30 odd years. There's nothing amazing. It's just that I've been plodding along, to be honest with you. These books you've written, you mentioned a pair of jeans. There's one called The Holy Woman. Bestsellers, yeah. these, aren't they? Yes, all right. A pair of jeans is a story I told you about. It was uh, my very first story I wrote. And it was picked up by a German publisher, and then it became... It's, it's, I'm more known for my pair of jeans than anything else because of Germany. Yeah. All the German school for the last 25 years have been studying it, and thousands and thousands of people. But I'm more famous also for my first novel, The Holy Woman, powerful love story, also uh, set in five different countries, and it raises awareness about different I- issues, including about the veil. And it's been translated into 10 languages, including Dutch, into Mandarin, uh, Turkish, Indonesian, Hindi, etc., etc. Where do you feel most at home? Is it when you're writing a, for a TV show? Is it when you're writing a book? Or is it when you're out meeting the people and spreading the love? Where do you feel most uh, at home and appreciated and comfortable? I, I used to feel at home with my writing, whatever, but 
since the present situation, current thing, I've, I think is to do with promoting peace and harmony, unity, challenging hatred. And the festival's taken over my life. Do you know I've not gone back to my fourth novel since the festival. So this is where I'm feeling at more at home. Yeah. And my my readers, my fellow writers, I say, what are you doing? Go back to your novel. When I wrote The Holy Woman, I was writing by hand, sitting on Saturday morning with my characters. I fell in love with them. I was there with them for three years writing away. And that was it. So much so that when the book is finished, The Holy Woman, I still want to go. It was like my baby. I wanted not let my baby go. I wow. wanted to hold on to it. Yeah. And I'm ready to start my second novel. And suddenly I decided I'm going to make it in a sequel so I can go back to my characters and bring them into the sequel. <laughs> so that was then. Now, and with Revolt, it was a nightmare. Now, particularly, it's a nightmare because there's social media, there's internet. I'm trying to get back into my novel. And do you know, I can't even remember the characters' names. I don't know who they are. I've not fallen in love with them. I forget which scene is when, how, what. So imagine the different, the main difference is I'm a different person. I'm at a different stage of life now. I've got so many different commitments, so many different strands of my life. But above all, my real enemy, would you believe, is social media. Really? The internet. Sometimes I want to scream to someone, please get rid of the internet. And somebody yeah. said, you can get get it off for a period from your, uh, from your uh, laptop because you're distracted. One minute I'm checking Natalie's message. Next minute I'm on to Twitter. <laughs> Next minute I'm getting, how can you creatively write? So I've lost my creativity mode. Yeah, I know exactly that feeling because by the time I've checked my emails, my Twitter, my WhatsApp, yeah. it takes. It takes up a lot of time yeah. and energy. And then people say, oh, you should get on Instagram. I'm like, I've not got yeah. time for no, anything else. No, no, we have to be ruthless <laughs> and what? I feel I'm struggling. On one side, I'm the good girl posting everything I need to to market myself as a writer, to market and promote about the piece work. But it's taking my, up my time mm. and also taking up my brain power, basically. Have you ever done poetry or songwriting? No, I haven't. Poetry is the only thing. Songwriting, I would never think at all. I never thought of that. Poetry, I would have, but it's very personal. Mm. And the only time I could have written and I missed the boat was when my mother passed away. I was really distorted and I was the most poetic mode of my life. And the irony is that's when it would have all churned out of me and I could have written it. I yeah. never did. I've written everything, radio plays, script for TV, novelists, everything. Apart from poetry, I haven't. It's not too dissimilar from what, what you've done, though. It doesn't have to rhyme, does it? No, You're no, You're great no. at painting but pictures. Very, but, uh, yeah, poetry, very short they may be, but it's the most powerful thing to write. Mm. The whole Your whole world goes into that. I really admire people who write poetry. Yeah, I think you should try it. Uh, yes, I'm definitely trying. The other thing I've not done is children's books. People have asked me, my niece, niece and nephew say, Auntie, when are you going to write a book for us? And I've just never got around to it. And there's a real need there for people like myself to write, to celebrate diversity yeah. w within school books. You mentioned your son who's a doctor. Have you got other children? I have three sons. One's a lawyer working in Dubai uh, and two are doctors. Uh, I've got a family full of, I'm stereotyping here, full of doctors and dentists. Clever people. So, well, no, they, they just <laughs> love that profession and there's a job at the end. So the yeah. two younger sons are followed their, 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 their uncles, basically. And what I'm you... the opposite. I'm, I'm totally opposite. My father wanted me to do law. And when I look at the law books, I said, oh, my God, I don't want all of this. Yeah. I want to read novels. <laughs> I and I ended up doing a degree in English literature. So did you say your father was a lawyer? No, my father actually did a university in Lahore. Uh, what was it? Politics, history and literature. And I remember going to Lahore and I found his book on Hamlet and uh, Wilkie Collins, the white lady or whatever it was. And it was weird seeing my father's beautiful handwriting. <laughs> what do you think has been your greatest achievement so far? Uh, I'm glad you asked me. I think my greatest achievement has been I'm a good daughter. I was asked this and I, uh, I'm a good daughter. I'll tell you why. My mother passed away 10 years ago. 
and my father lives in this lovely house in Tidal and suddenly he was alone. I literally gave away two of my sons to him. My two sons started to live with him. They were students at that time. They would live with him over the weekend and take alternative over the holidays. Then my son also started to stay when he found a job. So it's like me sacrificing my son. My son no longer stayed at home. Mm-hmm. As a mother, I craved to have them at home. That was one thing. The other thing was this. I had a clock in my head. At five o'clock, the, no matter where I am, in, in Manchester, if I'm in Manchester, this is what I would do. Five o'clock, I have to get the food ready. I have to be in Cheadle. I live in Manchester, Fatherfield. Get there for six o'clock. If I'm a bit late, my dad will have eaten something. And that was a, and then I would stay put with him for three hours, keeping him company. Next day, I'm going on inspection somewhere else, preparing away all the notes and everything else, just to keep my dad company. Right. And I've done that for 10 years. Now is the month of Ramadan. We're fasting. Guess what I do? Whole month, I don't celebrate fasting, breaking the fast in my home. I cook at home. I pack everything there, take my family with me, my son, my husband, and we unpack at my dad's house. We fry up, we make chapatis, we put the food out, we eat together, pack up again. Now, that's a duty I don't think very few people can do. That's my biggest achievement, that yeah. I have done this out of pure love for my father. Absolutely. That's what fun. do you think? That's a better achievement than writing I'd, novels. <laughs> I'd struggle. I can, write, I can write words. I'm good with words. But no, I, can, no, I mean, I'm obviously I've done all the other things, but for me, I think that's the best thing I yeah. feel I it's can. It's a real celebration of your, your, your faith, in it, and your, your focus. Yeah. Um, no, no, I always say, so look, writing books are okay, but my three sons are more important. For me, uh, my box, uh, my head is in different compartments, education work, writing work, family life, whatever, compartmentalized, but they're all important. But when it comes to it, human relationships are far more important for me. Absolutely. And at the moment, this connecting, challenging hatred is very, very important, more important than my literature, my writing. So you have priority. But then, of course, my family, my father comes more important than anything else. <laughs> If I was to say to you, right, you've got a message to humanity, right? So every single person on the planet is going to hear what you're about to say, which probably won't happen because this podcast isn't that successful yet. But if there was a, a total message from you to humanity, what would it be? Please uh, uh, celebrate diversity. Remember, we are all different. And learn to respect others and get out of your own personal box. I believe you're all in our own little boxes and we look at the world through our own little world and we forget to note that everybody has their own world. So my norm is different from your norm. We've got to step out of our own world to in order to befriend others and above all to have dialogue, mm. to understand people. And from the, at a simple level, get to know your neighbours. My neighbours are my sisters. They have keys to my house. We have one big family, different faith, different background, different German on one side. Indian on the other side, Hindu on one side, Christian on the other side. And yet, we are sisters. We eat together, we watch film together, we live together. And that's a classic case of good human relationships. It's nice that what you're saying. It's like we're, we're all different, but when we step out of our little boxes, we're all yes. the same, aren't we? Absolutely. Same time. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the book that you released uh, last year, Kassara, The Concubine and the Slave Catcher. That's right, yes. My publisher was asking me, Kestra, are you ready with your book? I said, well, not quite ready with my novel, I said, how about your story that you've been sitting on for a number of years? I said, I thought to myself, that's a good idea. Why not get a new book out, a stories? And that's what I did. I got my stories written over 25 years into a new book called The Concubine and the Slave Catcher. And I'm really proud of it. You know why? There are two reasons to be proud. I cover so many different themes. I cover the Holocaust in a story about the Holocaust in Poland called Train to Krakow. I talk about the slavery 
black slavery in Boston. I talk about the invasion of Peru by the Spaniards. I talk about the migration and uh, the party of Indian Pakistan and many, many other topics. And in terms of timeline, I start from 16th century Peru down to the modern world, from Peru to Poland to Pakistan. And they came out of different contexts. For example, the concubine was literally written three months before the publication. I sat on Machu Picchu and wrote my first scene. So if you ever read the concubine out of the, this book, imagine me sitting on Machu Picchu writing the very first scene. I'm going to read some of these books because <laughs> okay. you, you create great pictures in your, with your words. and It's a great thing. Thank you. Let's talk about this beautiful city, Manchester. You are very much a Mancunian. Yes. Um, and obviously you can tell by the way you talk about your love of England, your love of the city. Could you imagine uh, moving away permanently and not coming back? Never, never. Manchester is a city. It's got everything going for it. It really has. It's smaller than London, but it's still a very big city. It has all the facilities you can imagine, universities, theatres, opera houses. The only thing it doesn't have is beauty. We could do with more beauty. But then having said that, we've got the Peak District, we've got Disley, we've got all of that around us. Yeah. No, I, for me, it's the best place on earth for me as yeah. a woman, as a migrant, as a Mancunian. And then we have the International Airport. I can't tell you enough. We're so, <laughs> so lucky. I love Manchester. And it's... The best part for me is it's totally multicultural. We celebrate diversity totally, and people are well integrated, totally multicultural city like no other in the whole world. And I've travelled a lot, so I know what I'm talking about. Brilliant. <laughs> Let's talk about your favourite humans of Manchester. Kassara, okay. who would they be? Well, first of all, I'll start off with my teacher. My teachers are the backbone to everything. Without my teacher, I wouldn't be where I am. They taught me English. They encouraged me. I remember in my day that we had CSEs and O-levels and my English teacher knew I wanted to do O-level and that putting me into the O-level group made such a difference. If she had left me in a CSE and I got a grade one, I wouldn't have gone on to do a degree or A-level. The fact she put me into O-level, okay, I didn't get the highest grade in O-level, but I did it, I passed it, yeah. I ended up that. So she made a difference to me. The other one is amazingly my mum, my goodness, what a woman she was. She was everything. She wasn't well educated, didn't have a degree like my dad, but guess what? She was 100% wiser than him. And one of the <laughs> best things she did was uh, she was a mender of human relationship, real wise woman, connecting people, never hurting other people. And she also said, your mouth is everything. You can lose people by it and you can bring people to you by it. Mm -hmm. And I really believed it. She had a special word about sweetness and honey and a knife. Yeah. What basically, you can use your mouth as a dagger, yeah. throw people out or bring people like a honey to you. So, But above all, bringing people together. But why I mention her now really is her charity work. She supported 40 widowed across Pakistan. She didn't earn money herself, but her sons would give her money like they would to their mother as good sons. She would send it back to Pakistan. She would give those widows food for the whole month, whatever they was, especially during the month of Ramadan as now. And if their children got married, she would pay for the dowry or for the food. Then she saw a local mosque was going derelict in her home city. She had the whole thing rebuilt and supervised the roof, the tiles, all of that. And then the graveyard. She went to the local cemetery and she couldn't find her father's grave. And, so, and she was horrified, distressed by this. And then she realized that they were running out of the graveyard's land. And that was where the next money went. So she's been doing this charity work. Amazing. What was she called? Amina, Amina Akhtar, yes, beautiful woman. She was right. beautiful to look at, 
Hadid, the other thing she did, she gave everything, all the gifts she had, like gold jewelry from the, she gave them away two years early. She said, I'm not going to take it to my grave. This is came from you, you take it back. And for me, because she's my mother, she's my role model. Mm -hmm. So I feel I'm blessed to have such a role model to learn from her. Fantastic. The other one I've got is Professor Lou Kushnick. He was my first professor uh, who I really admired. He was Jewish and he was wonderful. He had this gift for the gab that it was so amazing. And he fought for racism and he's a friend to my day. But I do remember admiring him. And then, of course, somebody famous that you want me to mention, particularly Emmeline Pankhurst. I really admire those women, what mm. they did in those days, the protest that they had in those days. Well, today it's commonplace, but imagine what it was like, what stamina they had to have, what courage they had to have, what hardship they must have gone to. And then the stress level, they must have been there, mm -hmm. but they did it. And thanks to them, we are what we are today. And I especially remember that because we've taken part, MacFest has taken part with Stratford Festival. Stratford Public Hall approached me in December said, we would love to partner with you. We're doing a new festival and it's called Her Stories. And it was all about the 100-year vote, about women, about all of that. And again, we learned more about uh, Emmeline Pankhurst and her daughter and the whole movement. And the last one, Elizabeth Gaskell. She's a fellow writer. She lives in Manchester. And why I mentioned her is the thrill I got the first time. By the way, the listener need to know her home's on Plymouth Grove. You've got to visit it one day. Yep. And the thrill I felt in pressing that bell was amazing. I thought, my God, over a century or so ago, this writer actually pressed this bell. Yep. And then you go into a beautiful home. You go into a lounge, her little bedroom, a kitchen. I thought, wow. Amazing. And Emmeline Pankhurst would have rung that same bell as well because she was a frequent visitor, wasn't she? Was she? To right? the Gaskell House. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I didn't know that. It must have been, of course. I drive past it a, yeah. a lot of living stock for myself. That's right. And I grew up in Oldham as well, so I'm the same age as yes, you. I grew up yes. in Oldham. I've worked uh, for 12 years in Oldham. I love Oldham, by the way. Yeah. I've worked in Coppies, worked in Werneth, and uh, Oldham College are taking part in MacFest next year. Right. So they're on board. I worked uh, as part of... Uh, uh, women's enterprise. It was called uh, Opportunities for Women. Yeah. We worked on a bus that went around training women. Cool. I was born in uh, the coppice. I, mean, I was born in Woodfield Maternity Home. So it was a big uh, Roman Catholic convent with a maternity home across the street from it. It's a private house now, but also I was born in 1959 there. Yeah. So what are you doing for the rest of today, Kasara? Well, I'm <laughs> sorting out a dress, for example. I'm going to the Queen's Garden Party I've been invited to. Mm. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> yes, and guess what? I had to buy the dress, a jacket and a hat to go with it. And that's the best name drop we've had in any, uh, any podcast yet. So <laughs> before you go, Kassara, describe Manchester in three words. Amazing, vibrant and multicultural. Lovely. Kassara Shiraz, thank you for being a human of excess Manchester. Thank you for hosting me. That was Kessara Shiraz. Next week, I'm joined by the man who brought us Creation Records and subsequently changed the course of British pop music, Mr Alan McGee. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Rate us. Feel free to leave us some feedback. We always like to hear from you. Thanks again to our friends at Safer Roads GM for sponsoring this series and thank you for listening. See you next week. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.